Welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a series of podcasts to help you build your resilience for a better life, both at home and at work. In fact, we're going to help you get your bounce back. There are lots of different subjects, people and tools and techniques across this series, so please feel free to subscribe. Information can be found at personalresilience.com and you can access other goodies and online courses and coaching as well as today's show notes. In the meantime, please enjoy today's podcast. So today we're going to talk to Corby Mitleid, a very interesting person from New York, or certainly based in New York, who has written a fascinating book, has had a fascinating life, and has a very good hobby as well, which I really, really love. So hi, Corby, how are you? Glad to be here. Glad to be here. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Most, most importantly, tell me about your your hobby. All right. Um, what I do in the States, I've had what I call a checkered career. I have been an actress, a published author, an inspirational speaker, a legal assistant, an executive recruiter for engineering and manufacturing. What I do now is uh, intuitive counseling and inspirational speaking. The hobby you're talking about is I am a Maine Coon mom cat. Maine Coons are actually very popular in the UK as well. And as I mentioned before we started, uh, the newest kid on the block in our house was just brought over from a breeder in the UK. So it's very interesting. It's like having a house full of adults and then you adopt a six-year-old. <laughs> it's going to be a little crazy for a couple of days. That sounds great. And I've looked at pictures on them. They're absolutely adorable. And so, um, and, and large as well, I believe. Very large. Uh, the prawn... Uh, his real name is Leviathan, is only five months old, and he is already over four kilos. That's large for a cat. Wow. I think um, pets are fantastic. Um, we talk about stress and um, looking after yourself, and there's, there's a lot of evidence that shows that cats, dogs, other animals really do help uh, with stress relief and such like. Just being able to talk to them, walk them, pet them, stroke them, it's such a, it's such a great stress relief for, for, for humans, I think. It literally lowers blood pressure. They've done studies. People who have pets live longer with a little bit less disease than those who don't. Um, as a matter of fact, in the book, on my uh, one of my stress chapters, I say one of the great instant stress buzz, uh, busters is hug your fur person. It will immediately get you centered. Yes. We'll come back to that if we may. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about that life journey of yours? Because actually there's some, because um, I know you've had some, quite a bit of adversity and you've actually built some resilience in your life to be able to get you to where you are today. So why, why don't you just, just quickly take us through it? Well, I don't see it so much as adversity, but I'll say challenge. Challenge I definitely have. Hmm. I grew up in a very well-to-do neighborhood uh, in New Jersey that's about 10 miles outside of Philadelphia. Your listeners may have a better idea of that. But it was a very dysfunctional childhood, and it gave me a lot of very negative lessons about who I was and what I was worth. So I wrestled with that for a long time, had two short, very bad marriages, um, not smart life choices in terms of relationships or financial responsibility. I finally got the right guy in 2002, 
Meanwhile, I had had two dances with uh, breast cancer, had had lumpectomies and radiation and all of that. Then in 2004, they found I had a second primary. Turns the clock back to zero in terms of how dangerous it is. But they said, three strikes, you're out. And so basically it was a double mastectomy. The ovaries were out to cut the hormone level. And I went from literally a Dolly Parton figure to a fire plug with all kinds of side effects, permanent, and was given no choice. Right. That's when, did I cry for 24 hours? Of course, I'm human. Yeah. But back in the 1980s, I had started working with a great group in New England called the Option Institute. And one of the things that the founders, Barry and Samaria Kaufman, teach you is always ask the next question. And life comes down to three things. What are, what are you unhappy about? Why are you unhappy about that? What do you think would happen if you stopped being unhappy about that? Mm. So when I got this information, I said, all right, quick, need to find three reasons to be happy about what's happening. And I didn't care how dumb they were. Number one, you don't have them. You can't get cancer there. Number two, you don't have that procedure at the doctor's every year. That's so painful, and every woman in the audience knows exactly what I'm talking about. And fine, dealing with implants, I'll have a figure that looks like I'm 20 until I'm 93. (laughs) And as a result, because my immune system was boosted by the positive attitude, and I was ready to walk into this thing, understanding that it was in my power to change the outcome, I walked out of Massachusetts General Hospital in three days, shopped for a bathing suit in five, 13 years clean now, and I don't identify myself with the cancer. It's what happened. That was then. This is now next. Yeah, congratulations. But, yeah. And I think, and I think you're, you're really highlighting this whole idea that it is possible to make choices about your life and how you're going to be. Because actually you could have easily chosen to give in and give up and, and such like. And, that, and, and, and really that's pointless in a sense, isn't it? It is. Uh, I know in the United States for many years, and it started with the advent of the reality shows, victim mentality pays. Yeah. And so everyone is encouraged to finger point, to blame to, I can't do anything about it. Somebody has to give me a lot of money in a new car and make me famous, and then it's all better. It's not the way the world works. We are not victims. We are volunteers. And if you want to change things, you must be the change. You are not going to change people around you. It has to start with you. That's your responsibility. That is, And I think that's such an important message because people moan and whinge and carry on about everybody else without realizing that the fundamental choice is about yourself and uh, that's that's such an inspirational thing you've said there I think well I could have chosen to believe everything that my mother told me about me when I was in my teen years and again dysfunctional emotionally abusive instead I chose not to I chose finally to learn who I was without her labels and that's when my life started to bloom and you've talked about the victim mentality because because people seem to have a vested interest in joining in with that, and I think um, people with the people seem to cluster together with that mentality, don't they? Do you think it's a media thing? They do. 
I don't know if it's a media thing. I do think it's a societal thing. Uh, frankly, I think one of the reasons that uh, Trump won is because he played to that victim mentality. You're being a victim of all these other horrible people and I'll make it better for you. Whereas Hillary encouraged us to stand together, to do it together. So one was a victim and one was a volunteer thing. And unfortunately, the victim won because everybody wanted some big strong man to do it for them. They wouldn't have to take responsibility mm. for the changes. They wouldn't have to grow with the way the world is growing. And, and this responsibility thing is, is really interesting because in resilience, we talk a lot about responsibility because actually it's your life. Therefore, be responsible. Be responsible for what you think, feel and do. And, and stand up for what you believe in. That's, that's the point, isn't it, again? It, it is. And if you look at the word responsibility, it talks about the ability to respond, respond. not react. Exactly. What's the difference? Reaction. You hit me, I hit you. Yeah. Response. You hit me, I decide. Do I want to hit you? Do I want to ask you why? Do I want to try and talk you out of it? So one is lizard brain and the other is the higher consciousness interacting with another human being yeah it's a long time since um i first heard that term explained that way and it's it's it had such a resonance with me about this whole idea of making choices taking choices and i was very struck by what you said yes. there when you mentioned that the positive attitude and this effect on the immune system could you unpack that a little bit more for us I am not a doctor. I leave that to my entire family. Sure. Dad was a cardiologist. My brother is peat pulmonology. Mom was a nurse. But what I do understand from what I've read is the immune system gets depressed with stress. People have connected stress with stroke, stress with heart attacks, stress with diabetes. So it follows that if you relieve the stress, if you give yourself reasons that you get to get up in the morning. You don't have to get up in the morning. Your entire system is working at optimum. You have a better way of dealing with whatever germs come in, whatever illnesses come into you. If you look at if you, if you look at two cancer people, the one who will really survive it is the one who decides I'm engaging with this and I will learn to deal with what I need to deal with. The other one who's the victim, I also guarantee you they will have a lot more side effects because they are just not being part of the system. They're just sitting there letting everything happen to them. Yes, you've got to own your response, haven't you? Own, and, own yes. the, and own that ability. Now, um, I, I know we're getting into the book a little bit, but I know you talk a lot about uh, making friends with stress. So given we're into the subject now, what, what do you mean by that? Making friends with stress doesn't mean, yes, let's make sure that I can put 36 hours of duty into a 24-hour day. No, but you might as well find ways to use the stress. Sometimes stress is good if you have a major presentation, if you're auditioning for theater, if you've got a test, if you're in a sports event. Then stress is that extra little ping that you get to give you your best performance. Yeah. On the other hand, if there's negative stress, you can watch for it and you can thank it for what it's given you. Two of the major things I talk about is uh, are stress as the shot across the bow and stress as mission creep, two very different things. 
Stress as the shot across the bow is when you're pushing yourself and pushing yourself and all of a sudden something happens as a big wake-up call. Right. Um, with me, it was not eating correctly and wolfing down a heavily laden sugar pastry while I was working very hard on a Saturday at uh, an outdoor event and all of a sudden my heart started going like a trip hammer. That was stress saying to me, you are not... 20, you are 60, and you need to realize you cannot eat sugar with impunity the way you did before. Uh, and that one event was the clarity point. Stress as mission creep, and frankly, this is something that a lot of people in the corporate world face. You're doing one task. Somebody else sees you doing it really well and says, wonderful, could I ask you to do this for me as well? You say, it's two, that's fine. But then all of a sudden you look up and you find six people have given you tasks to do with no more time and no more resources. And so what was something you were confident in and comfortable with and were enjoying is now nothing but screaming deadlines and constant pressure. Mm -hmm. That's when you have to learn my favorite phrase, no is a fabulous idea. Mm-hmm. Yes. And in, and in a lot of organizations, no is a great idea, but it's actually very difficult to do. If you're working in a call center or if, you've, if you are very good and get a mission creep, you know, it's actually very difficult to avoid stress. So, so if it, a stress is the natural part of the job, but it's a problem for you, um, you know, how, would you, how do you deal with it? How do you cope with it? Well, you accept that there is going to be a certain amount, but you have to be aware of your own time commitments. You have to think carefully before you say yes. In fact, delay if you can. Mm. Understand that guilt is useless for everybody. Oh, I'm glad you I said don't that. want to hear, I really didn't want to do it, but I felt guilty, so I said I would. Yeah. No, that, that doesn't fly. And when you have stress that you cannot possibly avoid, you have to learn to triage your stress. And that is the simple ABC list. A dear friend of mine from high school has had a very successful career out in uh, Los Angeles. She has been wardrobe mistress for rock bands like Def Leppard. For years, she was wardrobe mistress for Diana Ross. She is now working with a big nonprofit organization out there. And there was a time when everything hit her at once. Kid going to college, a crisis at work, uh, her doctor saying, you've got to come in. The dog was ill. And so she said, you take that list. A is, I have to do it. B is, I really would like to do it. C is, I can't. And so you find people to help with those C items. For her, that meant having her husband take her child to college to look at the last three to make a decision. It meant calling her doctor and saying, is it life-threatening or can I come in next week? It is dropping the dog off at the vet and then they can look and see what's going on and then doing the work. She did not try to solve everything. She delegated. She knew where her skills were absolutes, and where somebody else's were just as good. Mm. So she got through all of that without a problem. Now, that's very interesting, you coming up with that method, because 
a lot of people I find who have stress become quite immobile and actually incapable of doing anything. So the fact that you're doing something is a positive because a lot of people just sit there like a rabbit in the headlights and they become almost stuck, don't yes. they, when they're overly stressed? What I remind people to do is I close your eyes and imagine yourself at the bottom of a deep pit, but look up. You see the sky and you see the edge of the pit. You know this is not permanent. You know you can get out of it. When you sit there like a rabbit, then it's as if you're just looking at the walls of the pit and have no conception that there is an open sky and you can climb out. Yes. So perspective is is a pretty important thing, isn't it? And the ability to stand back and take a a more self-informed view, I suppose, as well. You absolutely must cultivate that. Otherwise, the rabbit puts you right back into victim mentality, not volunteer. Hmm. Well, so what, 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 what do you do if you can't make stress go away at all? That is very often how things go in the world, but then you just have to decide how you're going to respond I couldn't make the cancer go away. I couldn't ignore the fact that my life was going to be radically, radically changed. I didn't even know if I would stay married because we'd only been married for a year and a half and life would never be normal again. Mm -hmm. So I just went back to the, what do I think would happen if I stopped being afraid, stopped being angry, stopped feeling helpless? And then you go on and you try that. There are no mistakes. You know, one of the things I tell people is you can't flunk life. Yeah. You simply can't. Um, God is not going to look at you and say, I don't like the way you handle things in your 30s and 40s. You can't come in. That's ridiculous. God is not the bearded guy on a throne. When we pass, that's an entire different universe. One of the best movies that explains that is the movie Defending Your Life with Meryl Streep and Albert Brooks. Oh, My that. personal belief, it's great. You have to review what you did right. and how you lived. But then you're up there, you're doing whatever it is to learn, you're planning to come back down because I do believe that nobody is smart enough to get everything learned in one life. We do reincarnate. But the major thing is... When you know there's not going to be a nasty judge at the end of it, when you put that nonsense away, you realize the only one judging you is you. When it comes down to it, other people may have their thoughts about you, but it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a true judgment. One of my two favorite phrases when I'm doing something and somebody is carping at me about it or telling me I'm doing it wrong or telling me I can't, I smile and say, thank you for sharing. You may think that if you wish. And then I get back to do what I was doing. Yeah. Because I'm not disagreeing with him, but I'm not agreeing with him, and I have no place else to argue, and I just push their energy to the side and get busy doing what's important to me. Yes. And a degree of selfishness is important in life because that's just focus on yourself. And, it, and the word selfishness has become imbued with a sort of a moral or a, um, a sort of a moral attribution but selfishness just means being you know care and concern for yourself and living your life and making sure that you do what you need to do and you know what other people are doing is forcing their agenda on you too often isn't it they're attempting to but they generally don't so and i listen to what you said you said they are forcing their agenda yeah. they are trying, trying to, to force it because 
<clears throat> remember, it's always up to you how you respond. Oh, yeah, I so, I so agree with this. People who've been on our resilience courses know how we bang on about the word choice. And um, it's for me, it's the it's the it's the it's the root of hu of being a human being in a sense is actually having choices, and um, you know yes. you, you make mistakes because you can only make choices with the sort of skills and resources that you had at that moment in time, and so you make the best choices you can every day, and you have to consider yourself, and that's where resilience comes from in a sense is actually giving yourself the permission to have the choices. And in a sense, the victim is the person who's decided to give away that choice to someone else, I guess, isn't it? That's precisely correct. If we can't give what we don't have, if we don't have energy, we can't share it. It's like you can have a gorgeous car, but if you've run out of gas, it's not going anywhere. No. And energy and self-care is the gas that runs us. Yeah. Now, you did mention guilt, and it is one of my pet subjects. So uh, <laughs> so tell me more about why you think guilt's a bad, a bad idea. Guilt does nothing for anybody. Mm. If you're feeling guilty, it's because you are beating yourself up and judging yourself for not doing for this other person. Yeah. I talk in the book a lot about thinking like a Martian. Yeah. And the idea is this. If you saw someone and there was water coming out of their eyes, you might think, why are they crying? You might even think, oh my God, what did I do to make them cry? The Martian doesn't have any of that kind of a reference. The Martian would just look at you and say, why is there water coming from your eyes? And the Martian would be right, because maybe the person has contact lens problems, or maybe they have allergies, or maybe there is an emotional basis. When you make no judgments about what's happening, but you simply ask, all possibilities are open to you. There is a, one, a wonderful judgment story that I'll share. There was a person who had an accident, car accident, and their face was very disfigured. They felt that everybody was looking at them, and so no matter what, if someone looked at them, he immediately assumed, they think I'm horrible. Right. He sat down at the Option Institute with Barry Kaufman in front of a mirror for eight hours and literally deconstructed his face, and by the end of it, he realized, well, it doesn't look like it used to, but I'm still here. So he goes home that night, and he's tucking his four-year-old into bed. She grabs his face, she smushes it next to hers and says, gee, daddy, this would be a great picture, but it would be better if mommy's face were in the picture. Now, the old him would have thought, even my daughter thinks I'm ugly. Yes. How awful. How can I be a good father? Now that he learned Martian think, he turned it right around to her and asked, why would it be better if mommy's face were in the picture? And she looks at him and she says, because mommy can't hold the camera still and you take great pictures. Right. Because there was no guilt, because there was no judgment, he learned his daughter really didn't see him any differently. She just thought he was a great photographer. That's a great story. Guilt. Gone. Sorry, I interrupted you. Toss it. Guilt. Toss it away. Yeah. It, it it does you no good. It's it's just completely. It's just a complete waste of energy, isn't it? Yes. Yes. When that energy could be doing so much to bring you more happiness. To bring people around you more happiness. Yeah. So, so you've made reference to the uh, Martian thinking and curiosity. So you've led me neatly on to talking about the book. So, 
Why, why did you think the world needed yet another self-help book, Corby? What, 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 what drove you oh, to writing another one? <laughs> tell us, tell oh, us all about that. Um, I have been a writer all my life, and I love words. I'm a word sculptor. And people were always saying, you should really write a book. And I was thinking, what do I have to say that hasn't been already said? But last year, I decided to start doing a weekly blog on my Facebook page and having a theme every month. So halfway through the year, I realized these are my three books. Yes. So I've created something called the Self-Development Project. The idea is first got to clean out that life closet. Then you have to choose what to put back into it, and that book is going to be called The Big Reboot. Once you've cleaned out, once you've chosen, how do you create a different life with it? And that will be called Be Your Own Masterpiece. So Clean Out Your Life Closet is the first one. It's going to be out January 31st. It's got four parts. The first is clarity. If we are not clear on who we are and what we want, we're not going to get there. Second is simplicity living well with less, life as a tiny house. The third one is adaptability and going with the flow. And, of course, the fourth one is what we've been talking about, which is stress. Those are the four things I think will help you get rid of what you no longer need to carry and simply isn't moving you forward. But, Colby, you and I I probably both know that, the majority. Certainly a lot of self-help books just don't work. So Mm -hmm. how's this one going to be different? I did it to be different because it's true. All of us go into a bookstore and you see row after row of gorgeous uh, covers and sexy titles and you read a few pages and you think, well, maybe this one works. But when you get it home, you figure out, oh, well, this one isn't me anyway. Right. And, I, you know, I've been doing it myself since I was a teenager. You'd buy the books that say, this will make you a thin, sexy, and dateable teenager to the new ones now that say, this will make you a thin, sexy, and happily married post-menopause, and please. The thing is, this book is not just mine, it's the readers. Without their participation, it's only half written. Right. I share my own stories without saying this is what you have to do. Mm. At the end of each chapter, we have something called the adventure pages. And this is where the reader answers some questions to help them reflect on what they've read. They come up with places in their life where the ideas will work. They get to decide what their personal takeaways are. I call them putting arrows in your quiver. And then there is the invention page where they write those three down and they do some kind of a drawing or collage. Think of it like a divination card, if you will. At the end of that book, you've got 16 sections that specifically talk to that one person who read the book, which allows them to reframe that book for their life. Somebody else can read the same words and have a completely different experience. And that's perfect. Mm. So the book's called Clean Out Your Life Closet, as you said. Now, um, I, I really get the concept. But um, mm-hmm. and you, you, you started by saying that the first section was all about clarity. Was that right? Yes. Right. So tell me, yes. tell me about that. Why, why do you think we need to start there? Because... We don't have separation in our life anymore. It's 24-7. Constant emails, constant texts. The phone is always on our hip. 
I have a friend who on their honeymoon on a cruise got daily calls from the CEO complaining and telling them you need to fix this, you need to fix that. There's no respect anymore for self-time. Mm. So if you are going to live in this complicated world, you need to get clear on what your goals are, what your dreams are, what you're focused on. So I use the analogy of joy of a clear telescope. The first thing you have to do is decide to use it. You have to decide that gaining clarity is a priority. Then you have to clean your lens, and that is getting rid of time wasters. There's a big difference between important and urgent. Important is what is really vital for you to do. Urgent is what I call the screaming duck in your face. Do the laundry, run the errands, the dog needs to go out. Mm -hmm. So that you have to decide what's really important and what is a time waster. That's also things like video games and keeping Facebook all the time. Then you have to focus your telescope. That's where mindfulness comes in. And mindfulness does not mean sitting on a Zafu cushion staring at the wall. That's not really what meditation is either. Mindfulness is when we are absolutely aware. We are paying attention to our life. The present moment is very much alive, but we look at what's going on without the emotional charge. Yeah. So we can examine all of it. Then you aim your telescope. That's a little bit about meditation. Then you adjust the lens. And the, the lens is simple things. Cultivate good habits. Get dressed every day. I mean, I work at home and working in pajamas may sound lovely, but if it doesn't give me clarity, it's better to get in my business casual. Turn off the techno tempers, uh, tempters. Set your schedule and keep your lists. Learn from other people with focused telescopes and stay away from people who live in Neverland. For me, Neverland is, no, I can't. It's not going to happen. It'll never go. Mm-hmm. Find your tribe. And for me, the true tribe are the people who are excited by life, whose direction and purpose are on the tips of their tongue, and whose lives reflect their goals. And avoid the doom and gloom in the world. It doesn't mean... You know, unicorns and rainbows. But it means don't dwell on all the horror. There are things like Yes Magazine, which is a magazine about possibilities. And they acknowledge there are problems in the world, but they look at the possibilities that are making changes. Right. That will help you get it clear. Yeah, that's really good. And and in resilience terms, we talk about that as being, you know, organizing your purpose, so the sense of who you are and why you are. And and I love this idea that you, it's not just about things, because I think a lot of self-help books talk about cleaning your house out and de-junking. But you do have to do that with the people in your life, because you do end up with quite a lot of relationships, which were great 20 years ago, but you now wonder why you still see these people, because there's no sort of mutual enjoyment in the relationship anymore. I don't mean, um, I mean just friendships as well, not just... And business relationships. People stay people stay connected for too long in a way, don't they? They do. They think if we're not friends anymore, then what went wrong? No, sometimes we outgrow each other because we're going in different directions. So one of the ways that I talked about how to uh, declutter, it's not only what do I find myself doing or using most often, but it's what have I gone unconscious about? What benefits other people, not just me? What intangible clutter do I have? An intangible clutter is made up of the tasks 
and the relationships and the obligations and the emotions that waste your time. They don't feed your soul, they don't give you any benefit, and they hip check out of the way the other things that would be more important, more valuable, and more fulfilling. You can bless someone and release them. You don't have to be nasty about breaking something off. Yeah, exactly. You can just say, look, I wish you well, but we simply aren't on the same page anymore. Yeah. And that's more honest, isn't it, than just ignoring people and having them dangling around. And um, it sort of creates a negative perception for yourself isn't it because it's not it's it's not about being honest with them or yourself really so it's better to do it's better to deal with these things like leaving a job it's better to go out being frank and honest rather than you know all deceitful and hiding and being you know um difficult about the whole situation it really is and if they try to guilt you about things remember what we said guilt does nothing for nobody so don't even bother that's again where well i'm sure you may feel that way but that's not how I see it. Yeah. And um, one, one of the challenges, and I know you, you talk about this a little bit, is this idea of perfection. I think perfection is one of those um, real problems. I don't know whether it's driven by the media or just by human beings or families or whatever, but um, you talk a lot about per- perfection. And um, I'd be interested to know your sort of take on it. Well, um, perfect has ruined more lives and taken away more joy. Uh, I have a chapter called Why Perfection Isn't What You Think It Is. And that's where I simply took an example for me. Uh, This past year, my 61st birthday. Now, normally, that's a big deal for me and my husband. We do our birthdays, we do Valentine's Day, and we do our anniversary. But... I was having some serious health challenges last year. He was having to work late. I had deadlines on this book. So it was not going to be the wonderful dinner out, terrific celebration. But instead of thinking, that's not fair, I decided, okay, let's see what's perfect about the situation. And I picked up things. Perfection can be flexible. It can mean considering other ideas and changing course. It can mean giving attention to what really matters. And so there were seven or eight points when I realized it was fine. The other thing is I watched perfection destroy good in my own family. And I discuss in the book my parents, Francis and Jerry, and my stepmother, Shirley. Mm. My parents had a very difficult marriage based on the relationship between dad's mom and how she accepted or actually didn't accept my mother when dad brought her home in the 1940s and said, this is the person I'm going to marry. And so my grandmother spent the entire 38 years of their marriage telling my mother how horrible she was. And my mother could never get out from under. Now, mom dies, Nana dies. A year later, my father marries Shirley totally different from my mother, but someone who had learned life isn't perfect, so do what you can with what you have where you are. So my parents, my father and stepmother were able to create a beautiful, brilliant, and loving marriage because they gave each other slack. They understood that compromise is the way it has to be. Yeah. Because with so, perfe- be- be- no. perfection just leads to everyone being disappointed all the time. Just say that phrase again. Do what you do what you can with what you have, 
you See? have where you are. That is a very famous quote from yeah. one of my two favorite presidents, Theodore Roosevelt. Yeah, that's, that's very good. I like that. And that's in... And we, we talk... And in life, we have to learn to be pragmatic. Happy. And that is about how... That is how you become pragmatic. That's how you stop being a perfectionist, isn't it? It is. It's also where we find our happiness. I adore cooking. Absolutely adore it. But sometimes the stuff is not in the house that I need for a particular recipe. So that's where you punt. That's where you fudge. And if someone says, well, no, the recipe says it absolutely has to be that way, then they'll always think that the meal is less than. They'll never be satisfied with it. They'll lose their enjoyment in cooking. Yeah. So that's that's where in, in the book I talk about happiness, TR, TR standing for Teddy Roosevelt, the idea of do what you can with what you have where you are. And for that, it's when you're in the moment – then you see what's around you. You're not busy thinking about what you don't have. The attitude of gratitude. Do you have food? Then enjoy it. Yeah. Do you have ways to work in the world? Enjoy it. The Martian curiosity comes in there, of course. Um, the Outback Restaurant people. No rules, just right. I love that slogan. Because when there aren't any rules, you can't get it wrong. Right. Thinking outside the box. Don't think about a stroganoff recipe the way everybody else does. How do you want to put your stamp on it? And not attached to outcome. Fine. Mm. I have a loaf of bread that didn't rhyme as well. You make bread pudding. Mm. And the bread pudding's perfect. Mm. Stop, stop Rigidity talking. will I'm on, a, I'm on a diet at the moment, Corby. This is all this talk of food. Is, uh, <laughs> it's playing with my head. <laughs> Sorry, my love. But it's, you're right. It's, it's but, about seeing that if that... Perfection makes you rigid, and it takes away from the ability mm -hmm. to be creative and make the best of what you have again, isn't it? And actually, and in, it, in, takes, in, in it way, takes away enjoyment for yeah, judging. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And in a way, I suppose what you're saying when you're cleaning out the life closet is you're, you're looking for the areas that you've fallen into this need for perfection, perhaps. Is, is that right? Is, is that what you're doing? You audit your levels that's, of perfection? That's part of it. That's part of it. Throw away the idea that you have to get something right. I said you can't get it wrong. Right. You, everyone will learn from any situation. So, you know, did I live a life that perhaps brought on the cancer? Um, not necessarily. I don't know. But I'm not going to blame myself for the cancer. I'm not going to blame myself for what happened. It happened. I will deal with it as I have it and then go on. Next. Blame does no good for anybody. And what you're illustrating quite clearly here, I know you talked about yourself being a word sculptor earlier, which is a great phrase, but you're talking about the things you say to yourself to manage the, what, your, what your mind is saying to yourself. So you, you seem to replace that sort of inner voice with some quite clear... Um, almost orders or ways of thinking that you've developed over time? Yes. I always go for the question. I always remind myself, you know, nobody died and appointed me God. The only one who's 100% right on everything probably is God, not me. So get rid of the idea that it has to be a certain way. Um, one of the things I, I do is I do counseling and I do work with 
people with serious to terminal illnesses, and I tell them there will always be a healing, but there might not be a cure. Yeah. The idea being healing, whatever is brought up by the disease you're dealing with, you can heal the emotions around it. You can heal relationships. You can heal perhaps how you even look at death. But you may not walk out of that hospital with all your parts. Yeah. That's just the way the world works. Yes. And that life experience you have is very powerful. And actually, it's, it's, an, it's a refreshing contrast to these people who set themselves up as experts who's never really experienced any of the things to talk about in a way. No, one of the things that it's part of my mantra, especially with the intuitive work that I do, is I look at people and say, you can do what I do. I'm not special. We are all wired the same way. Mm. So I tell people, don't make me a guru. Mentor, yes. Guru, no. Here's the difference. A mentor will push you a little bit farther than you think you can go, kick you out of the nest a little bit before you think you're ready to fly, and will sit in the audience applauding you when you get an award for being better at what the mentor did than the mentor. Yes. A guru is the one that says, oh, eventually you will get there, but I'm the one that has the knowledge, and here, buy these books and go on this cruise and do this and do that. It's putting money in their pockets. I will admit there is one particular person who's very big in the law of attraction thing, and they've written 52 books, and they're encouraging people to come listen to them on the cruise, saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Uh-uh. That, that is not necessary. Yeah. Wow. I've just, I've just, I have a time counter that, that ticks alongside our recording, and um, I've just noticed it because I've been enjoying our conversation so much. And I, um, I, I, you've you've talked brilliantly and given people so many really interesting ideas. And let just let could you Thank really you. sort of bring, bring this to an end by telling us a little bit about how people could get in touch with you, how they could find your work, um, just refresh people's idea about the book and when it's coming out, uh, Corey, if you do that for us. Sure. All right, um, you can find me at corbymidlide.com. I know that a lot of folks uh, will see it and think, oh, it's that P word, it's psychic. Don't think of it like that, because I'm not a madam hoo-ha. I am a counselor, and basically a lot of what I do works with people and what they want. For instance, the sentence of passion consultation That's where you look at your life and we help figure out what your rallying cry is. It's very different. If you want to go for the book, that's cleanoutyourlifecloset.com. You will be able to download the first chapter free. We're having our online book launch on January 31st where uh, it's going to be participation from people all over the world. Hmm. The most important thing is remember, I'm no guru, but I do have an awful lot of life experience in the corporate world, as well as my own particular life road. If some of what I know is useful to you, I'm here to be in service, not to amaze you. Yeah, I could care less about that. Yeah. Wow. Corby, um, that's been fantastic. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And perhaps I could encourage you to come back when the um, Volume 2 is underway. I'd be delighted. Okay. Okay. Well, look, thanks ever so much. Um, cleanoutyourlifecloset.com um, uh, book launches in, on January the 31st and um, it sounds like it's been written by someone who's very practical pragmatic and uh, it sounds like anybody could learn something from the sort of things and experience that, that you're talking about so 
I think I really, I'm going to definitely get myself a copy and um, I look forward to reading it as well. Wonderful. Take it's care. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah, look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found some value. Um, there are lots of other podcasts in this series, lots of different speakers, tools and techniques and subjects. So please subscribe and see what else might be helpful for you. Um, it would be smashing if you could pop across to iTunes and drop us a review. As I said earlier, we've got tons of information on our sites, lots of free goodies, ebooks, webinars and such like, uh, as well as some uh, online courses and specific coaching, sometimes from some of the speakers you've heard on these podcasts. So hope to uh, have your company again on the next edition of Resilience Unbattled. Bye now.